Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Glossy Week in Review podcast, where we break down some of the biggest fashion news of the week. I am fashion reporter Danny Parisi. I am here with Glossy's editor-in-chief, Jill Manoff. Jill, it's good to talk to you again. Good to chat today. Thanks, Danny. We have a lot of fun stuff to talk about this week. Um, first off, we're going to talk a little bit about the CFDA Awards, um, some of the people who are going to be honored there, and a little bit about um, the fact that it's the first event in person in a little while. There's also some rumors and rumblings that I'm excited to talk about uh, with Richemont and their investment in Net-A-Porter and what's going to happen with that. And then we'll finish off talking a little bit about Farfetch. Um, they got into private label this week. So first up, the CFDA announced um, some of the honorees uh, who are going to be awarded at the CFDA Awards. Um, first one that I saw was Zendaya as the youngest fashion icon award winner that I think they've ever had. Um, I think she's great. I mean, she's always on the runway, always looks fantastic. Um, Joe, thoughts on Zendaya? Yeah, the youngest, the youngest ever. At 25, I would have some I mean, I want to say give her more time and then give her the Icon Award. <laughs> but I do, I feature her on my Instagram stories every day. I think she's iconic. Her style's amazing. She is well deserving of this title. She is. She's also in Dune, which I am incredibly excited to see later this month. Anya Taylor-Joy, though, got a much funnier award, which is Face of the Year, which, like, <laughs> the title to me is funny just because she has such a strange looking face kind of to me like not to be like I think she's beautiful obviously and a great actress but it's just a funny name for an award face of the year face of the year there's not a lot of explanation behind what that is just like face of the year Uh, I guess I don't know I was notable looking person from this year (laughs) like the queen's gambit that's mage but I don't know what the face is about it's funny okay let's talk Go ahead. I was just going to say, is it supposed to be like, you know, how someone can be the face of a brand or something or the face of a campaign? Um, who is she, who's she working with? Is she, I'm sure she's done modeling and stuff for brands, but. Uh-oh. Honestly, I mean, I know of her. I follow Law Roach, who has been on the Glossy podcast, the stylist of the moment, which I'm like, where is the Law Roach award? Because he styles Anya Taylor-Joy and he styles Zendaya. And literally he is orchestrating the face and the icon <laughs> he is the man behind all of this yeah so yeah where is law roach's award I, I i'm sure there's a stylist of the year award or something but anyway the the thing though that the people who are being honored at the cfda awards that i wanted to talk about is um the positive social influence honoree is going to be the model alliance which is a labor protection group or advocacy group who advocates for models um and i actually talked to them um last year for a story about how the modeling uh, job has changed over the pandemic. Um, I feel like people think of models as this modeling as this glamorous, wonderful job, but by all accounts, it's a very hard, um, grueling occasionally job. And often you do not get uh, a lot of the protections that a lot of other jobs get. They're, they're usually classified as contractors, which means they're, they have a lot fewer protections and benefits um, that an actual employee would have. Um, I remember a, talking to them last year, they they had sent me this survey that they did of a bunch of their models. This was at the time, so it's out of date now, but at the time in mid- middle of 2020, half of their models had yet, had completed jobs and had yet to be paid for them. Um, so I think it's, it's pretty common in modeling to not get paid right away. I mean, as we know, as journalists, freelance journalism is very similar. Um, 
which is just ridiculous. The other thing is at the time, again, in the middle of 2020, two thirds of their models were worried they could not afford housing during the pandemic. Um, so there's lots of worthy causes, but I, I, this is a good one. And it's good to see a labor advocacy, advocacy group being honored at the CFDA awards. I totally agree. And you know, not only are they getting paid late, a lot of them get paid in clothes. And I don't know if that's still happening, but um, especially runway and, and jobs such as those. Um, and you take it to build your portfolio. And I mean, what a way to to get by, I guess. If you're not going to make it big time, uh, I think you're going to struggle for, for a majority of your career. So um, anyway, nice that these laws are people are lobbying for for better practices. Um, they're also lobbying for other like garment work for workers. They were um, pushing for the California Act, which was actually just passed. So yeah, definitely doing a lot of good for the industry. Um, they were advocating against somebody, uh, a sexual assault a case in fashion. So anyway, models doing good. Um, love to see it. And awesome that they're getting recognized. The more power to these like worker advocacy groups is, is the better, in my opinion. Also, so I just was pulling up this story that I did last year. I talked to Mary Clark, who is the co-founder of a model management company. And one of the things I remember her telling me is that um, a lot of modeling, especially if you're a new model, it's a it's a lot about momentum. Um, so if you if you get a, a modeling job, that can lead to another job, that can lead to another job, and the pandemic just kind of put a grinding halt to a lot of young models careers um that you know coming back to it a year and a half later might be very difficult to get the same momentum going um so it's a it's a tough job um and i sympathize with the people who are in that situation right now so the other thing is i feel like the struggles that a lot of models face is the, the flip side of brands you know doing more casual photo shoots or shooting e-commerce product with their employees which is a very cool trend that we've covered like that's very fun and and um, resourceful way that a lot of brands did photography last year. But I mean, that's just more work taken away from models too. So um, not that it, you can really blame the brands for doing that, but just another note that uh, jobs that might've been less flashy, but more reliable, like modeling product just for, you know, mod cloth or something on their website uh, was also in shorter supply last year. So anyway, the point is yeah. it's very cool to see the Model Alliance get some recognition. Yeah. And not to mention uh, the work that's going to influencers and uh, folks that have good expertise. They have more experience shooting themselves um, and they can do that at a drop of a hat as opposed to like a model that's been tasked with doing their own shoot at home. It, it may not come as easily. And um, anyway, um, they've got a lot of things working against them. So we'll see where that space goes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, OK. Any other thoughts on the CFDA awards before we move on? No, other than, yeah, great to see that um, other people, you know, our friend, our girl, Aurora James is being honored uh, mm -hmm. called, with the Founders Award. Um, Patagonia has is getting the Environmental Sustainability Award. And also, you know, there are some newer names in the mix in terms of Designer of the Year and um, the the big categories. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I have my own favorites, but we don't have to go there. Hey, Wales <laughs> Bonner. I'm excited for Wales Bonner and uh, yeah. Peter Doe. Anyway, some good ones there. It's also one final thing on that is it is the first CFDA awards that's going to be in person since 2019. Um, so yet another thing in fashion that's coming back and hopefully we'll 
be just as good as it ever was, but we'll see. I mean, I've never gone to those awards in the first place anyway, so I don't know. Maybe I'll get an invite. CFDA, if you're listening, I would love <laughs> to attend. Um, okay, but let's move on. So this is a, a story that I was very interested in just because I've been sort of following and sort of speculating on my own for a while now, but there was um, a rumor earlier this week, I think it was published Monday, um, a French publication called Miss Tweed reported that uh, Richemont, the Swiss luxury group that owns uh, a bunch of fashion brands and Cartier and a lot of jewelry, I think, and watches, um, but they also own Net-A-Porter or Uke's Net-A-Porter, the entire company. Miss um, Tweed reported that Richemont is likely trying to divest from their Net-A-Porter investment and possibly uh, put a little bit more money and attention into Farfetch, um, which is just been doing a lot more a lot better than Netaporte has in the last couple of years. Um, I have some thoughts about this, but Jill, why don't you tell me what you think first uh, about these rumors? Is this a surprise to you or do you think it makes sense? I think it makes sense. Uh, Netaporte, the business model is becoming extinct. Um, more of a wholesale model versus a marketplace. Um, also, yeah, they're doing some drop shipping, but it's basically it's not a marketplace. Let's just say that. And also, uh, Richemont's brands could definitely, they need help on the digital front, I guess. Nobody would say that uh, Cartier or Alaya are, are tech savvy. Um, I would say they're definitely <laughs> stuck in the dark ages. So there needs to be some collaboration here. Richemont needs needs the help of a farfetch um, that is working wonders to take brands into the digital era and make them omni-channel and, and all those buzz, buzzwords we say time and time again. Um, but yeah, it makes great sense to me. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'm of the same mind. And I had put that in my notes as well, that the farfetch versus net is also about the marketplace versus wholesale kind of model. Um, we, we'll talk about this a little bit more in the third story here with uh, Farfetch's private label, but Farfetch has always been sort of the Amazon of fashion. Um, I forget if it was they who used that term or if it was if that was applied to them um, externally. But I mean, there are so many ways that they are sort of a parallel to Amazon. Um, the the very like tech savvy um, nature of Farfetch and all the stuff that they do for the brands that are on their site, um, the fact that the brands control the price and everything and all the things that you can't do on Net-A-Porter. I also know that Net-A-Porter has been very expensive for Richemont to maintain. Um, although that being said, Richemont did invest, what, $300 million into Farfetch along with Alibaba last year or, or a year ago or two years ago. Um, so November, it was pretty recent, right? Oh, it was. What am I thinking of though? Oh, oh I'm thinking when Farfetch bought New Guards, that was two years ago. Um, oh, right. But uh, but yeah, that was very recent, that joint venture, which to me, I mean, is not a good sign in their confidence in Net-A-Porter and they're investing a bunch of money into like one of Net-A-Porter's rivals. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think it makes sense. I think the question for me is what's going to happen to Net-A-Porter if they, because the, the report that I read said there's a couple options for what's going to happen to it. Um, they like Farfetch might invest some money into Net-A-Porter, although they are not going to buy it outright, which I think was on the table, but Farfetch rejected that. So I'm just not sure what's going to happen to Net-A-Porter. Are they going to try and change their business model or are they just going to float off and be their own thing again? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know where <laughs> Net-A-Porter, it's funny. It speaks, it speaks a lot, it wonders a lot <laughs> to the direction of the industry 
like net-a-porte focused on well in addition to the wholesale model um content 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 i mean farfetch has content but their big thing is personalization and and tech which it's definitely kind of new way versus old way across the board um so I don't know. Farfetch, it's still not profitable. They say they're going to be profitable by by the end of the year. Although, um, definitely one of these the years. Pay- yeah, by the end of the year, they're on track. Is the word on the street? So, um, they definitely benefited from the pandemic, and their business model is what brands are gra- gravitating toward and what they want now. It's a timely business model. It, it just worked to their advantage without them making a lot of a lot of changes. So. Anyway, yeah, I don't know where what's going to happen in Netaporte. I have no, I feel like it's it's had its day in the sun. <laughs> yeah, I have Harsh. a wild card a wild card theory that is based not on any inside knowledge at all, total speculation. But I think it would be fun to see Netaporte end up owned by or invested in like by Caring, um, because Caring is the only one between Richemont, Caring, and LVMH. That doesn't really have any tight relationship with a big online luxury retailer. Um, LVMH like sort of has that twenty four seven, although it's not like the biggest or most profitable. But they they have it at least. Um, whereas uh, and Richemont has had Net-a-Porter for a couple of years. Caring does not really have a connection to any of these kind of places. So I, I think it might be a to- totally wild speculation. Maybe Net-a-Porter ends up with Caring either as a joint venture or acquired outright. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but yeah, that's I, so interesting. Wild card. Uh, let's get let's get every conglomerate involved in this. Yeah, <laughs> these conversations while we're at it. Well, so this is uh, something I was gonna say uh, about Farfetch. It's something that's so funny is how circular all this stuff is because like Farfetch owns New Guards, but and New Guards owns Off White, and Virgil Abloh work like owns Off White, but also is in uh, like in charge over at Louis Vuitton which is owned by LVMH, which invests in Farfetch. Like it's all a big circle of people investing in each other and they're all sort of kind of like rivals, but they also are all in business together too. It's like kind of weird. It's very weird. And New Guards Group owns the licensing for Off-White, but LVMH acquired the trademark in Off-White. Anyway, there's a lot to talk about with New Guards Group and what's happening there. Let's talk about yeah. that one. Yeah, yeah. So Farfetch has their uh, new private label brand that they just um, announced this week. It's called There Was One. The It was led by New Guards, is what I understand, um, which yep. is the Italian holding group. They own Off-White or the licensing to Off-White. Um, from what I saw, it's, uh, a, it seems like the focus is going to be on sort of neutrals and basics, um, which to me seems like the go-to strategy for a lot of private label stuff. It's like, if you want something flashier, you can get it from one of the brands we have. If you just want basic stuff, you just get the private label, you know? Yep, for sure. I checked it out as well. I mean, it's not cheap stuff, cheap basics. This is like luxury basics, uh, $375 track pants, your $95 t-shirt. Uh, but yeah, somebody made a good point that it's not uh, kind of hype wear that that New Guards group is known for with their off-white and their palm angels. Uh, this is something uh, 
that you wear forever clothes. Uh, Chief brand officer at Farfetch, Holly Rogers, was saying that the the customer demand is for longer lasting clothes, things that won't come and go like a trend, and also more sustainable options, which they saw with their newer newer I guess category, conscious edit um, that had saw great growth during the pandemic. Of uh, what was it? The average oh three times faster than the average item. Um, the, the conscious pieces grew more three times more. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like those pieces can be kind of a canvas. You know, they're like they're a little bit neutral, a little bit plainer. Um, they last longer, and then you can get the smaller, like flashier trend pieces to wear over top of it. You know, I I, I feel like that's the um, purpose that a lot of private label serves is like you have an audience coming here for all these brands but like if they just need like oh they i really want this thing from gucci like but i need just like a plain um neutral shirt to go under it or something then you rather than getting like a gucci shirt or something you just have your private label brand right there um i actually had this in my notes as this is yet another way that farfetch is the amazon of fashion funnily enough because amazon is so big with like amazon basics and all of their like dozens of private label brands that are all mixed in with like the uh the other the third party suppliers too um i don't know what what do you what do you take on the what do you think about the amazon farfetch comparison do you feel like that holds up in terms of just their strategy i mean i do think it holds up they would hate that um but that makes sense to me i it's it'll be interesting to see how they uh you know serve up their basics alongside as like a recommended item when somebody's shopping a complimenting item, complimentary item. Um, because really, I mean, there's a lot of media buzz around this, obviously. So media is doing their job, but um, they brought on an editor from The Gentlewoman to develop the brand launch campaign, which it seems like the campaign is just creating content for Instagram and for this site that's actually, or I guess landing page that's only found on farfetch.com. It won't be its own brand outside of Farfetch. Um, And, you know, I looked on the Instagram. It's not, it hasn't gained a huge following. There's like 700 followers or less than 800. So um, I don't know that it's going to be you know, people are, may not know there was one, that name, um, but I have a hunch when you're shopping on Farfetch and they're savvy that you're, you're going to see it all the time, uh, these basics. Um, and yeah, just, hey, over here if you need something. So I think yeah. that's, that's probably their um, strategy. I also imagine that, I mean, Farfetch has so much money, like so much investor money, but also just a lot of revenue coming in. I, I would guess that this probably was not too expensive for them to swing um, and I think the, pri- the the profit margins on private label tend to be really good because uh, you're not there's no middleman or markup with the brand or the supplier. Um, it's just like you manufacture it and just goes right on the store. So it's sort of like has the same profit margins of like a direct to consumer brand. Um, so I don't know, but I, my point is though they're so big and they have a million different things going on at any one given time. I feel like this is just, they were like, well, like we might as well have a private label like brand, you know, we can afford it and it would be good to, you know, why not do it? Um, And that's again, yet another way they're Amazon like in that they sort of just are doing everything. Agree. And not only the higher profit margins for their own product, um, a lot of folks are speculating, is this another way that they're looking to justify their new guards group acquisition, which did receive a lot of like 
backlash and and flack or what what's this about um from from investors and such uh which Zofia on our team is cranking out a story today on on uh what that new guards group partnership looks like and what that recipe for success is um yeah, she she also <laughs> thought that they were looking to justify uh, we did this for a reason. Do you think that um, more private label, uh, what am I saying? Labels will, will come out of, of, of Farfetch. I do. I think so, because, I mean, if, again, if we look at the Amazon comparison, Amazon has tons of private labels and they have some that are very clear, like they have the Amazon basics for with like literally anything you would want to buy. But they have, you know, tons of apparel private labels that are not really marked in any way as being an Amazon owned brand. They're just all mixed in. Um, so you might as well, you know, and I imagine it'll probably be Amazon like in that some of them will be very neutral. Some of them will be, I mean, I, I imagine the private labels will kind of be differentiated in some way. So if they open more, there might be like an outdoorsy kind of one. There might be a footwear focused one. If they might do sneakers even, um, we'll see. I mean, I, I strongly would suspect that they're going to do more of them, especially if this one does well, which I'm sure it will. Yeah, it looks cool to me. I mean, for basics, it looks nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, also, and that that story that Zofia is doing on new cards that you mentioned, by the time this goes out, it will be already published. So I will link it in the uh, in the article. Perfection. Well, this was fun. This was very fun. Thank you so much, Jill. Great to talk to you as always. And uh, we'll meet back up right here next week. <laughs>